Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. When Mohammed Afez received a single entry visa to study architecture in the United States, he realized that he couldn't return home to Syria. He could make a home here. A skilled architectural model maker, he spent years in exile sculpting lifelike renditions of his Damascus neighborhood. When the Civil War broke out and his parents fled to the United States as refugees, Muhammad bottled up his frustrations and they erupted into these beautiful models, which we see in this wonderful short documentary film called A Broken House. It's a film that's been nominated as part of the Academy Awards for the, on the short list of Academy Awards for short documentary. And we're joined today by the director, Jimmy Goldblum. Jimmy, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. I'm, I'm really grateful to have this moment to talk with you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a beautiful film to look at. The cinematography, it's just one of those films that is tonally, in my opinion, just absolutely perfect. You set the tone well, it looks beautiful. And then you have this very empathetic family, including Muhammad, but also his parents. Tell me a little bit about how you got to know Muhammad. Yeah, I was actually setting up a documentary series, an anthology show for Apple uh, called Home. And Home is about architects and the ways that they thematically explore notions of home in their work, right? So a researcher with that series actually surfaced Muhammad's story. I mean, in my mind, it was just perfect. On the one hand, he's an architectural like Wunderkin. Like he worked for Picard Chilton, which you know built the, I believe, the Petronas Towers in Malaysia, which are the second largest skyscrapers in the world. He had his first skyscraper in his name before he turned age 30. I mean, some people go entire lifetimes not accomplishing that. So in some ways, he was like an architectural genius. And then on top of that, in as a side project for many years, he was building these very nostalgic artworks sort of, I guess, as a way to kind of cope with the homesickness that he was experiencing being separated from his home country of Syria and his city of Damascus. And there was just, I was like, I cannot think of someone who more embodies what this show is about, right? An Apple executive who no longer works there looked at his research and said, you know what, I just don't think his house is nice enough to be on TV. Mind you, this was in 2017. Okay, so the previous administration had just announced their Muslim ban. Um, my wife, who's a Muslim immigrant from Pakistan, and I had a shotgun wedding at City Hall because we thought that maybe she would get deported or worse. I mean, so many of our friends and community were terrified and angry. And here's Muhammad's story, which is ultimately about the homesickness that refugees and Muslim immigrants experience. And I was like, we have to find a way to do this. So I don't know if it was like by an act of pure kismet, but one of the producers on that show, Matt Weaver, was like, hey, I actually just met the former congressman Dick Gephardt, used to be the House Majority Leader in the 90s. And Dick is just apoplectic about the state of immigration in the country. And he wants to do anything he can to get stories out there that can help humanize, you know, these like beautiful people who are being dehumanized in the press. And so I presented him Muhammad's story and that's how we put it together. Is he the one of the executive producers of the film? Yeah, yeah. Gephardt. Muhammad is and his family are wonderful subjects. But before we get to that part, I, I want to talk about the models he makes. 
because they embody so much of what the story is about. Describe what these models are. Yeah, I mean, so the way that it started was that Muhammad, you know, he came to the United States on a single entry visa, right? That was like a Muslim band that wasn't called a Muslim band called NSEERS, which George W. Bush's administration set up. So he came here for architecture school and got trapped. And so like one day he was kind of home. It was like Thanksgiving. Everyone was home with their families. His mom had sent him a box of like candies that he used to love in Syria. And on the wrapper was an old Damascene facade. And he was like, I'm an architect. I know how to make models. I'll make this. And so it sort of started as this like very way of like wrangling with his homesickness. But over the years, they just got so much more intricate. And the thing with Damascus is that it is like this syncretic culture where you have like, you know, Roman influence, Hellenic influence, Byzantine influence, Jewish, obviously Muslim, Christian, like, you know, all these, it's the oldest inhabited city on earth. Right. So, you know, the, the architecture of this place can tell so many stories and Muhammad just collects details. And, you know, he, he would just like construct these incredible models that, you know, the verisimilitude is like actually shocking. And uh, I mean, like I did, I, I can talk about sort of how I tried to film it. But, you know, when you're actually there sitting in front of them, like, you know, there's details behind doorways that are just as intricately carved. Like it would be almost impossible for the human eye to see it, but that's the way the Muhammad's mind works. They're beautiful. There's one, it's, um, I think it's near the end of the film and it looks like it's bathed in kind of an aqua lighting uh, and you shoot some of it from under, from under it. And again, there's so many striking models that we see, but that one in particular is something else. What is that a, a specific monument um, what is that? I forgot. Yeah. So the work that you're referring to is actually Harayath. And Harayath was actually oh, the original right. title of the film. Yeah. And, and what Harayath refers to is a Welsh word, um, which means homesickness to a land that you can no longer return to or that maybe never existed in the first place. And so what that model is, is just a, it's a combination of so many different places from his memories sort of mashed into one as a monument to like the memories, which are at that point in which he was making it about 10, 15 years, you know, of not being able to return to Syria. It was all that he had. The memories were all that he had. I love that piece. I mean, it, I, it's, it's a staggering piece when you look at it. It looks quasi-religious. It looks, it looks like a lot of things. It, and it's just a beautiful piece of work. They're models and they're works of art. We see them throughout the film. We see them in various states of construction. But uh, also Muhammad himself is very soft-spoken, very quiet, and very much a loving son. He loves his father. His father lives with him. Talk about that sort of – the film is called A Broken House, and this is a metaphor that works on multiple levels. It's a broken society. It's a broken community. It's a broken family his own family. He has had his, he himself has gone through a divorce. So it's multi, and this is the trauma of war. I mean, there's a lot of factors here, right? But this is the trauma of war. It isn't just about the obvious. It's about all of this collateral damage, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I was really taken by trying to tell a story about war and migration and refugees just through a slightly different lens to use art as a way in you know, I'd seen some incredible films about the Syrian war over the past, you know, I'd say almost decade, right? Yeah. And it was something that I think was beginning to disturb me. 
was the, just the, the way that violence was used as a way to build empathy. You would be shown these very graphic, gratuitous images of what people were going through, and it would sort of shock people into awareness. And they would be heavily tuned in for weeks at a time, and then they would burn out and move on to the next news story. And I think maybe it served a purpose at a certain point in the war when they were trying to serve, trying to get that awareness. But it, over time, I think that the, the effectiveness of it wore off. And I thought that like art... And, and just intimacy, like being with a family, you know, without necessarily shocking people, without necessarily re-traumatizing people, could, could allow us to sort of um, engage with the effects of the war in a different way. And I, I had created a documentary to start my career called Tomorrow We Disappear, which was about a magician's ghetto in India that had been knocked down in order to build New Delhi's first ever skyscraper. What I realized in that process was like, like cultural loss, you know, like those magicians in Delhi were like the living historians of, of, of uh, Kashmir. And, and the puppeteers in that colony were the living historians of Rajasthan. And I saw an echo of that narrative in what Muhammad was saying about architecture, is that the minute that you lose one of these buildings, you know, that the walls could have a thousand years of history on them. And the minute that comes down, you're losing so much more than a, than a, than a home or, or a mosque or a synagogue or a church. You're losing your connection to that narrative that grounds us in this world. And so I was just really, really taken, you know, by Muhammad's vision and the way that he sort of explicated that. In terms of his family, it's just like one of those things, Mike, that I really don't know how to explain. You know, I sort of mentioned that we had like a courthouse wedding with my wife and I, and I was going through an enormous amount of strain with my family at that time, specifically around the Muslim ban and everything that was going on. It was just like a really, really hard time where I felt like I was screaming for my family for them to understand me. And I felt like, even though Muhammad and I never even talked about it, we only talked about it for the first time at Doc NYC. You know, he and I were like walking around New York and we had a conversation about it. But I think that there was just like an energy between us that kind of connected, like the sort of ineffable thing. And I think that he decided to have some conversations with his family, you know, spontaneously that he had never had before. And I'm enormously grateful that he did because a lot of people can connect to what he was going through. And both of his parents, his father and his mother, seem like such gentle souls. I mean, it's easy, again, humanizing people in these times of war, we can often fall into the sort of trap you were talking about earlier. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the violence, it's the anger, it's the unreasonableness of these situations. And we can often make that a portrait of a people. And uh, there's some scenes in this film where he goes to does he go to Damascus or Lebanon to visit his mom? He goes first to Beirut and then Tripoli in Lebanon. He can't go back to Damascus because he'd be drafted into the army. The time he spends with his mother was interesting. Obviously, they love each other there and they spend, it looks like, uh, some real quality time together. For you as a filmmaker, what is what is it like to be in, in a situation like that where the dynamics of he hasn't seen her for a while? How do you approach a situation like that as a filmmaker when you're going to be involved like that? I think with great respect and and really, you know, for me, the stuff, the, the, the footage that you see with him and his mother in Lebanon is the last stuff that we shot. It was, it was, you know, it was the last film, the, the last filming that we did on the film. And I think that's for a reason, because you really have to sort of earn someone's trust and really show up with a lot of compassion to be able to film a scene like that, I think. Like it doesn't just happen. And for me, I never think 
you know, as a documentary filmmaker that I'm entitled to anything when it comes to my subjects. I don't think that I'm entitled to their intimacy. I don't think I'm entitled to their vulnerability. I don't think I'm entitled to, to their world at all. It's something that you really have to earn. And the way that you earn it is by making firm commitments and sticking to them so that you can be, so, you know, I've told, I was very transparent with Muhammad at every step of the way. These are what my intentions are. Can we have a conversation about it? And he, and we'd have a dialogue and that dialogue is essentially what the film is. You know, it's like, as an artist, he and I would have an art, you know, it would be a director artist conversation, which is like the cinematography. This is how I see your art. How do you see it? Right. So I just think that when he was saying goodbye to his mother in Lebanon, which is in some respects to me, the heart of the film, you know, I don't speak Arabic and, and my cinematographer for that uh, shoot, Zach Lowry also did not speak Arabic, but I could feel that energy yeah. so intensely. I mean, the room was so charged and the thing that, you, you know, the last thing you want to do is put a camera in someone's face in that moment. You just want to hold back, breathe with them, you know, the way that they're breathing, you synchronize your breathing and you just hold space and you allow the emotions to play out the way that they need to. And, and that, you know, that's all I can really say. It's like, it, it's just staying grounded and respectful. With respect to that scene, not only is the, the sound of their voices, it, but it's their body language. There's a certain, there's this kind of real mother-son kind of intimacy to it. And you don't need to speak the language to know that that's, he was, he's literally pleading with her. We know now from the translation, he's literally pleading with her to come back with him. It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful scene. And it's, uh, it's part of a beautiful film. It, it's, it really is. Uh, congratulations. Congratulations on the film. The film is, again, A Broken House. You can go to the Yorker uh, doc page. Uh, you can watch it there. You have a website um, for your own work. JimGoldblum.com. Thank you. JimGoldblum.com. And, uh, and they should check that out as well. Congratulations on all of your work. Well, I hope you find some time to come back and join us. Thank you so very much for your time today, Jimmy Goldblum. Again, the film is called A Broken House, shortlisted for the Academy Award consideration for best short documentary film. Hopefully we'll see you soon. Thank you, Mike. It's, it's really an honor. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music